couple of months after my son passed, I had fallen down the stairs. It was about a month after my son passed. I had gotten his ashes. I couldn't handle any of it emotionally. I was just a wreck. And my mom picked up his ashes from the, um, you know, where they do the cremation. And I didn't want the whole urn. I just wanted a little patch so I could put in, you know, my necklace. So she gave me that in a pewter heart box. And I put it in my pocket. And somewhere along the line, it fell out. And I panicked. And I, I said to myself, uh, I am such a bad mother. I even lost my dead son. And I ran out the stairs looking for it. And I and I tripped and fell down the stairs mm. and busted my head up here. I punctured my spleen, broke a couple ribs. And spent three days in the hospital for that. And then I continued to drink. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, Tribe Leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast, episode 119. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last six years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. Many of these people that we helped started their Tribe Sober journey with an alcohol-free challenge, which is a great way to check your dependence on alcohol. If the challenge is a breeze, then you're fine. But if it's not, or if you can't even contemplate a challenge, then maybe you need to give it a try. Our challenges are usually for one month or once a year. We offer our Sober Spring Challenge, which lasts for 66 days. That's long enough to build a new habit. If the thought of 66 days without booze makes you shudder, then you may be pleased to know that we're setting up our shortest ever challenge. It's just going to be five days without alcohol. So from the 1st to the 5th of August, we're running a five-day sober sprint with daily tasks, Facebook Live trainings and lots of community support. All the action is taking place on a Facebook group and the group is active now. So just go to tribesober.com and you'll see the link to the Sober Sprint right on the homepage. So come join the conversation. My guest this week is Gina Fox. She's a sobriety coach, podcaster and writer. As a college professor, she inspired thousands of young adults to pursue their dreams. These days, she uses her own experience to help women recover from addiction and childhood trauma. I began by asking Gina to introduce herself. Well, I live in Lower Alabama, not far from the beach. I was a college professor. Kind of drinking interfered with that a little bit, so I gave up the career, not the alcohol. 
But yeah, I've done a lot of things in my life that's a little bit crazy, including I was a professional clown for a while, uh, an overweight aerobics instructor, and I started out with daycare. So let's dive into that drinking story, shall we? Yes. (laughs) Where did it it all begin? When did you start drinking? Were you a teenage drinker? No, I was a late drinker. Oh. Um, Yeah, very late drinker. In my teenage years, I had gotten drunk once and threw up all over a boyfriend that I refused to see again because I was so embarrassed in the backseat of my grandma's car. Drinking did not appeal to me in the early ages. I I experimented with other drugs, but um, they were too scary for me. So I didn't allow myself more than just a small experiment. And then when I turned 36-ish, I had gastric bypass and lost uh, 140 pounds, which messes with your head. And and I was lonely and I was sad. And, you know, my ex-husband was having trouble dealing with the new me and I was having trouble dealing with the new me. And, and I just, I just started drinking and lightly yeah. at first, but yeah, it got really heavy pretty quick. I mean, not too quick, but pretty quick. You know, so. that's quite interesting. Sorry to interrupt you, but you've probably heard yourself the stats, but I've heard that people that have the, that gas gastric bypass many of them go on yeah. to develop alcoholism have you heard that yeah yeah that's actually we're we're warned of that in the meetings the pre-meetings um for the surgery and i didn't believe it was going to happen because i didn't drink at all you know i went 11 yeah. years without drinking any alcohol um when we'd go to christmas parties and my ex-husband would get drunk and i was the designated driver and make sure he got back to his room fine you know so i didn't think that that would be an issue for me um but it, it was and that actually it comes from the fact that you know eating was my my numbing factor my addiction yeah. and when i couldn't eat any longer I, I had to switch to something else but then also uh when i first got the surgery. I had a group of friends who had also had the surgery and every every once a month we'd have a potluck. Well, you've got a a bunch of women who can't eat nothing with tables of food and then alcohol. And we mostly drank alcohol. You know, we'd graze on the food a little bit, but there was a lot of alcohol. I didn't really know them at first. And so the way I was able to open up and talk was to um, have a, a drink with them. And it started out with jello shots. That was my first one. And I liked them so much that I did not stop doing that. And can I ask you a question there? You mentioned mm-hmm. that you were numbing out on food before, you know, the, this operation. So do you think that's what happens in in most people's cases? It, it's just that they switch to something else to numb those yeah. feelings. Or is it something physical that's going on? You know, something no. about absorption? No. There's some absorption problems with alcohol. And I used that to tell myself I wasn't an alcoholic. So like I would binge drink and and get really, really drunk really fast or not drunk at all. So I had no regulation of, you know, what was too much and what was not enough. I remember going out one time having one drink and being passed out on the bench by nine o'clock. And then, you know, another time I could have three or four and, and you know, be pretty good to go. But yeah, I never knew how much was too much and how much was not enough. So there were a lot of blackouts because of that, more so because of that than because of my heavy drinking, because this started really early in, in, in days when I wasn't heavy drinking. What they say is, and this is very much what happened with me, if you have a shot of alcohol, it takes 20 minutes to process it in the body. So in 20 minutes, well, almost immediately I'm drunk, but in 20 minutes, I'm completely sober. 
Yeah. And so I'd have to <laughs> have to have continual shots of, of, of alcohol. Yeah. yeah. To keep going. And so that made it very difficult with, with the regulation part. So. And did you get worried about this quite quickly? And were you trying to cut down, trying to, to make changes? What was going on? Did you have lots of rules? Like, I, did, <laughs> I, I never drink at the weekend. I never do this. I never do that. But of course, you break all the rules. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't, I, I did worry about it early because almost immediately um, it caused problems in my marriage. Um, it was causing problems. I was teaching at the time. and It was causing some problems with that. Uh, not too much with that, but mostly my marriage, everything was going haywire. And, and we ended up getting a divorce shortly after that happened and was, wasn't was able to work through it. So yeah, there was a part of me that was worried about it. I went to Celebrate Recovery. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's a it's almost like an AA here. Um, we have AA and we have Celebrate Recovery. And it's I think it's a nine-step program. It's a lot like AA. So I went to that for a while, but I didn't want to admit that I was an alcoholic. So I went to it because I, I telling myself I had love addiction. I was meeting guys and the guys were the problem. And if I could just figure out what was going on and, and why I'm struggling with love. And, you know, one sexual experience me- meant that I was going to marry him. And uh, the guy I was dating at the time was abusive. And why was I sick? So I told myself I went for, for love addiction and not alcoholism. I was doing everything I could to to deny the fact that I was I was having trouble with it. But, yeah, it was causing me problems almost early on. I worked in a bar nights, days teaching uh, college and English and in a bar at night. I only allowed myself to drink. I, I had it down to the minute. Thursdays at one o'clock after my last class to Sunday at 12 o'clock. So I wasn't hung over Monday morning before my first class. Did it that oh, way. For very me. organized. <laughs> yeah. Did it that way for a long time. And that actually, that worked for me because my, my career was very important to me for quite a long time. And then it stopped working. My bar role was to only take $20, pay for the cab before I start partying, you know, pay for before and after I knew the cab driver, she'd come back and get me and only drink what the $20 gave me and not let people buy me drinks and not, you know, take a credit card so I could use that to buy more. And again, of course, that never worked if someone wanted to buy me a drink. I, you know, I was ready. <laughs> and I even paid the bartender one time to make all my drinks. I, I paid her $5. He says, I'll tip you anyways, but I want all my drinks to be water and non-alcoholic. I thought that would help. And no, no, none of it helped. It's <laughs> amazing the things we try, isn't it? Yes. We're, we're just in denial about what, what's really going on. Why did everything change? Did you say you were 36 when things started, That when you had the operation and things got yeah. worse? So how, how many years were you uh, drinking heavily before you made a change? 10 years, about In 10, ten years. 10 years, okay. Yeah. So your drinking yeah. career was rather short so yeah. compared with mine, which went on for decades. Yeah. So that's, that's something. You can't have done that much harm to your, your yeah. body, we hope. You've mentioned blackouts. I also had awful blackouts. I used to get walking, talking blackouts. You know, the blackouts when you look absolutely fine, you're talking and your friends say, but but you were fine and you can't remember anything. (laughs) I I had a a texting rule. Do not text the phone because I I, I don't know how many times I woke up the next day and said, oh, crap, I said that. You know, I mean. They're, They're frightening, aren't they? I found them very frightening because I think I knew that I was harming my body. I mean, I had breast cancer and evidence of that. But 
when I realized what I was doing to my brain, I think that was when finally I thought, this is mad, you know, I've got, yeah. I've got to make a change here. So did you, you've mentioned the blackouts, did you have other rock bottoms or, you know, did something drastic happen or did you just think, I can't do this anymore? Yeah, something very drastic happened. Um, I was, I was not, I was living in a garage. Um, it was smelly, you know, filled with poop. We had just had some dogs who had given birth. We had a house, but we were kind of um, running that out as an Airbnb because we live in a tourist area. So we chose to stay in the garage. And I spent every day in this dark garage with someone who I, I knew at this point didn't love me. And I was just kind of sticking it out. And then in February of 2018, my son committed suicide. Oh no! And yeah, and that that devastated my drinking. It devastated me. My drinking was heavy before that. Um, after that, my drinking just it just it, you know I, I could go days without drinking before that. I drank for seven months straight with only a break when I went to the hospital once. Yeah, you know they can't get alcohol in the hospital, but that's okay. I have morphine instead, so um, <laughs> so I wasn't sober for seven months straight. A couple of months after my son passed, I had fallen down the stairs. It was about a month after my son passed. I had gotten his ashes. I couldn't handle any of it emotionally. I was just a wreck. And my mom picked up his ashes from the, um, you know, where they do the cremation. And I didn't want the whole urn. I just wanted a little patch so I could put in, you know, my necklace. So she gave me that in a pewter heart box. And I put it in my pocket and somewhere along the line, it fell out. And I panicked. And I, I said to myself, uh, I am such a bad mother. I even lost my dead son. And I ran out the stairs looking for it. And I and I tripped and fell down the stairs mm. and busted my head up here. I punctured my spleen, broke a couple ribs, and spent three days in the hospital for that. And then I wow. continued to drink because, <laughs> you know, I wasn't ready to quit. I had... Um, I'm just going to go, I'm going on with this because it's all kind of related. I had decided I wanted to speak at a um, meditation conference, not, never mind that I knew nothing about it. You know, I just decided I was going to do this. I wrote an email. The person contacted me back and said, I have to talk. Someone wants to talk to you. And I'm like, okay, what? what? And she says, someone wants to talk to you and, and I can't not call you. I'm compelled to call you. So we got to talking and turns out she was a medium. And she said, she said that she didn't know it was my son at the time. She just said, someone wants to talk to you. She did a little description. I said, um, okay. And she goes, well, I'm, he, he's telling me to give you a free reading. I decided to go to the reading. I decided that if she asked for money, that, you know, because you never trust that. If she asked for money, I would um, immediately know that that wasn't real, you know, it wasn't legit. So my daughter went with me to this reading and she said so much about his death that people didn't know. I couldn't even talk about it. And he, he had um, hung himself. And when she was writing about it because I guess that's how she does it she wrote the word hung and then scratched it off and she wrote shot and then scratched it off she goes that's not right she goes something tells me it's hung well he had hung himself after that I it just kind of gave me hope but I continued to drink for a little bit longer but that experience means a lot because you know it's part of my recovery yeah with, with the med meditation and spirituality part of it so uh, can I ask if your son had substance abuse issues or was it we, more of a, a depression thing with him? 
we don't know. You know, I've been searching for him and worried on a daily basis about his drug use because he had already started experimenting and he was scared of it. He, you know, he came out to my mom. I've been stealing dad's drugs. My dad had cancer. He says, I've been stealing grandpa's drugs. Um, I've been doing this and that. And um, and then that's when he admitted himself into the hospital. So he was yeah. worried about it. Oh, yeah. poor you. What, what a thing to go through. So talk to us about how you managed to stop drinking. Well, I went to my granddaughter's first birthday party. And while I was there, my ex-father-in-law whispered in my ear, go with me to a meeting tomorrow. And I did not think twice about it. And I said, okay. Before the morning came, I got pissed off and went and got more drunk. <laughs> and I and I called them up and said, no, tell grandpa. I called my daughter and said, tell grandpa I'm not going. By the morning time, I woke up and I was so freaked out about what had happened, which was nothing in particular. You know, there was no rock bottom. There was no aha moment. I just got so freaked out for some reason. I said, I'm not going to have a home soon. I, I This is crazy. And I called my daughter up because I'd left my bar at the car. I says, come get me. I have to go to a meeting. And when she came, got me. I told her that this is going to change. I can't do this anymore, that everything has to change. And I went to the meeting and father-in-law came and, and showed up and sat with me during the meeting. I sat there for about an hour before the meeting even started because I was afraid to leave. And I, I haven't had a drink or a desire to drink ever since. Just like quick overnight. The word I got, I have for it, and I just got this a couple of days ago, was resolve. I just resolved that I wasn't yeah. going to drink anymore. And, and it happened. And that was just uh, two or three years ago, I think, wasn't it? Three, about three and a half. Yes, three it and was. Half, yeah. Yes, yeah. Okay. Well, well, congratulations. What can I say? <laughs> well Thank done. Yeah. And how are you feeling? You look great. Oh, it's excellent. Um, I'm doing more than I ever thought I do. I have great relationships now. Um, I do still attend AA. I go three or four times a week. And of course, I'm working on coaching and, and we have a podcast yes. and talking about recovery through the podcast. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. So talk to us about the coaching. When did you decide that you'd become a sobriety coach and why? Before I got sober, I had a vacation weekend planned at the beach. I was going to camp at the beach. I was going to party at the beach. I was going to get drunk and just have a good time. And that was like a couple weeks, well, 10 days after, um, it was scheduled for 10 days after I decided to get sober. So I thought, you know, I don't want to punish myself. I'm going to go to the beach and I'm going to turn this into a meditation weekend. So I planned everything out so that I had meetings all scheduled that I would go to once or twice a day including one on the beach. It was pretty cool. I went to a meditation session. I'd never meditated before. It was my first one. I got books on on God because I was having trouble with the spirituality aspect of the whole thing. So I got books on God. I took my journal. I took my camera. And I just turned this into a whole meditation weekend. During that weekend at a meeting, someone said his um, alcoholism was a gift. And he had to give that gift back. And, and it just kind of struck me. The only way I can make sense of my addiction, of the pain I'd gone through, of, of being molested as a child, of my, my son's death, is to give that back. So 10 days after I got into recovery, I knew that I was going to be helping people. At the time, I didn't know it was going to be coaching. I knew I wasn't ready at the time. I almost started immediately in a 
in the process of learning how to coach, of learning the things that I would need for recovery, I started taking classes and said, okay, you know, at least uh, give me at least a year to, to get some solid sobriety. And in the meantime, I'm going to learn how to do this. That's pretty much what it is, is my gift back of, and my way of yeah, making sense out of alcoholism and, and suicide and everything else. So, Yeah, that's beautiful. I don't know if you're familiar with Laura McCowan, because she, she's had a book. Uh, have a look at it. It's a great book. It's called We Are the Luckiest, you know, and it, it yes. is about. Yes. Yes. And, I think I have it, but I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I just love that sentiment, you know, it's, it, we're not poor, broken people, but we're actually quite lucky because we've been right. pushed to the wall and we've had to explore ourselves in a way right. that many people that have never touched alcohol will, will do in their life. So uh, I like that way of, of framing it. I think yeah. it's, you know, it's positive and hopeful, isn't it? One of my favorite classes when I taught was whenever I teach Plato's Allegory of the Cave. And in the basic concept of it, the way I, I taught it was that, you know, you got to go in, you got to come out of the cave and, and see the real world and see life. And while I was in my addiction, I was in the cave and I was trapped, imprisoned and couldn't see anything but what was, you know, the shadows on the wall. And I came out and got sober. The thing that I think... I missed out on when I learned that in college and in high school. The thing that I feel like I missed out on is the part where you have to go back in the cave. Because what Plato says is the only person that has the language, the experience of what they've gone through is someone who's been in the cave. And it's your duty to go back and pull other people out. And as soon as I heard him say that, as soon as that thought that I have to you know, become a coach or help people out as soon as that came to me also came the thought of Plato's allegory of the cave and how much I love teaching it and I knew that I love teaching it because it fit my values you know yeah. it's I was told I wouldn't go to college I was told to work in a factory and and the fact that I did that when I was teaching my whole goal was to help people get the education and the and the gift that I had got given so I've really done that all my life yeah, you know that pulling people out from where they need to to be based on my own experiences. Yeah, and I think you know the more that we share our personal stories as well, that really helps people because who right. knows, you know, who's listening to this and that they'll hear your story and you know it'll plant a seed if nothing else. Yeah. So um, I know that you're a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, and I wanted to ask you why so many people that have been through that do go on to become addicts. I think, I mean, it's just the extremity of the pain at such an early age mm. kind of pushes it in that direction. But if you think about it, there's a lot of people in the rooms that don't have those experiences. So, yeah. and, there, and there's a lot more that do, by the way, that the numbers for that is higher than for people who don't. So I think it's like the intensity of the abuse. But if you read um, Alice Miller's, I forget the name of it, something, The Gifted Child. Um, if you read that, she talks about the she talks about the age and the trust issues. I think it's that one, trust issues, and that happens at an early age. So I think it's just anyone that loses that trust at yeah. an early age, if that makes sense. Yeah. And and with child molestation and abuse, you know, it, it's an early. I mean, it's an early age. It's the whole point of it is that you're at a, an age too young to understand what's going on. Yeah, and, and your brain lost, hasn't even developed yet, probably. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. the trauma in it is so, it's so much, you mm, know. Yeah, yeah. I was just curious because I, I think your partner is writing a book, isn't he? Uh, 
trying to to help AA sponsors to mm-hmm. uh, connect with people that have been through the this uh, childhood sex abuse. Is that correct? Right. Well, yeah. we're writing it together, and it comes from the idea that the message is in the mess. Everyone tells us when we when we talk about it at meetings, don't talk about your childhood sexual abuse. Mm. It's they're very uncomfortable if they don't want to hear it. And our response is they say it's not part of the message. And our response is, well, wait a minute, the message is in the mess. The trauma in our lives has caused us to drink, has has, you know, not given us the tools that we need to cope properly, caused all this this damage. And by talking about the trauma, there are other people in the rooms that have dealt with it as well. And they're not looking at it. They're just not looking at that as part of the problem. Well, I'm an alcoholic and a child abuse survivor. And and then they see this as two different things. But the reality is, is I'm an alcoholic because of my child abuse, you know, Mm -hmm. in parts and my way to my inability to deal with that. So we have to talk about it in the rooms. Otherwise, absolutely. I was talking to someone uh, who'd been through, um, she was a heroin addict, and then she got into alcoholism. And she used to go to NA meetings and AA meetings. And she said quite correctly, I think that they shouldn't be separate, you know, alcohol is a drug, the the hard drugs are there, sexual abuse, whatever. I mean, people that have been through that, they need to share, don't they? And and not everybody will have been through the same trauma, but that doesn't mean that the person that has can't talk about it. I was really shocked when I heard uh, your partner talking about how in meetings, you know, everyone says, oh, you can't talk about that. (laughs) <laughs> no, we do anyways. Both of us do. I yeah, mean, I well, good for we you. We don't go but... into details, but we let people know. Yeah. Because the thing is, is there might be someone in that meeting who's never told their story, who's never exactly. really talked about it, who needs yeah. to hear someone say it. And then if it's just even just a little, little, little glimpse of my life, the words I've been abused as a child in one of my shares, and that's all I give, then that person knows that they can come to me. That's how I met Vince. You know, I met him okay. in the rooms. And there was something about him, you know, that just attracted me. And I went to one of his speaker meetings where he told his story and I heard it and and I just felt this huge connection, you know, and I'd talked about my abuse for a long time. So it wasn't that I needed someone else to talk about it. I'm I'm very open and and have done it live on stage, but I heard his story and, um, and he was a college professor as well. And there were some other connections and he's got a great voice. And so I just, I was drawn to him almost immediately with, because of that so um and other people are drawn to us because of that in fact i might say something to someone and suddenly they just pop out and tell me you know and and even if i'm not expecting it there it is Uh, and now you collaborate with vince don't you for the back Mm -hmm. porch chat you've got the website um you're a sober coach you've got your podcast which is also called back porch porch chats Chats. yes and you're you're going to start a membership tell us about that We're kind of combining things. I was just going to coach, just me working with people with addiction. And Vince is much more interested in the families and and, um, helping them. We've taken a couple of courses, um, certified in ITC. So the membership is based on the idea that families and people recovering from addiction need to work together. You know, what happens in treatment, people go into treatment and they're there 30 days or six months or however long it varies, you know, or I can't stand this, I'm leaving in two weeks. And they come home and the people think, you know, families think they're all healed. The problem is they're coming right back into the environment that got them where they are, you know, with people that don't understand them, that, you know, want to beat them down when they use and don't know how to, you know, 
um, make them feel better. And so what we're doing in Now Sober Academy is we're right now just working on the family part of it, but then we're going to eventually pull into the, the addiction part of it. And the goal is to teach the families to communicate with their loved ones. That, that sounds wonderful and yeah. much needed as well. You know, I've, I've also seen so many people going to rehab, come out and <laughs> having to navigate, you know, the family mm-hmm. uh, structure and then the, the alcohol drenched world. It's too much. You know, that's right. when the, the real support needs to happen, isn't it? Right. Yeah. On your LinkedIn page, I saw this um, this phrase, I think it's uh, relating to your coaching, and I really liked it. It said, if you're successful with alcohol, imagine what you could be without it. I thought that was really nice because yeah. I, I say sometimes, uh, even if alcohol doesn't destroy you, it'll prevent you from reaching your potential. It's similar, isn't it? So yeah. I've seen that over and over again, you know, in our community, just people, you know, they, they give up and it's really tough for a few months and then they're flying, you know, and they, mm-hmm. they do these amazing things that they never would have done if they're still yeah. drinking. And I find a lot of people say to me, you know, in coaching or, or just in conversation, they say, well, you know, now that I don't drink, this is in early sobriety, I'm not sure what to do with myself. You know, I don't know what I do like doing. Yeah. So you really have to help them rediscover yeah. their passions, really. That's that's a big part of it, isn't it? That's where the name Now Sober came from. Now Sober, oh, nice. now what do I do? Yeah. yeah. I, I, can, I don't what? know how to have fun. I still don't know how to have fun. I'm starting to get better at it. But, yeah, Vince said to me, well, why don't you go with now sober? Now what do I do now that I'm sober? You know, so that's where, where the name came from. Yeah, yeah, I like that. There's a definite kind of lull there. I, I certainly had it for, um, I'd say, three or four months in early sobriety because, you know, you're on your pink cloud for a while and then you get sober and then there's now what? Uh, and I felt kind of down for two or three months. I thought, well, how is this going to work? You know, yeah. it's all a bit a bit dull. But then I had this idea to start Tribe Sober and then I realized, you know, I'd have to learn marketing, websites, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And as I worked my way towards that project, I was, you know, happy again and busy right. and I had a purpose, so right. I think it's it's really important to find your purpose. Let's talk about warning signs for a moment. I think the biggest one, the biggest one, the one that I should have seen almost early is is when you start asking yourself, do I have a problem or what? <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if it's damaging your health, if it's, you know, relationships, your finances, and you still choose to drink, yeah, you probably got a problem. That's the biggest one. If you're asking yourself that question, you may need to really consider it. But also, you know, just making rules, creating those rules. You know, other people don't make rules about their drinking. You know, I mean, they don't they don't say, um, okay, the first time I drive drive drunk, I'm quitting. You know, they just don't drive drunk. They don't get drunk to a point where they can't, you know, the first time I get arrested, I'm quitting. That's one of my rules. And well, I had to do that twice. With you, it was the third time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thank God I didn't get arrested third time, but I was on, I was on that track. But I I love the way you say, basically, if it's on your mind, if you're thinking about your drinking, then, then do something, you know, even if you're not drinking that much, if, if you're worried about it, then change Mm -hmm. it. I like to say uh, sobriety is a superpower, you know, see what you can do when you're sober, yeah. As, yeah. as you said. In in your checklist as well, I like your cost and gains of alcohol because we, I think a lot of people get trapped because they think, 
well, I'm going to lose so much if I stop drinking. You know, I won't right. be able to have fun. I'll lose my friends. And how will I relax? Blah, blah, blah. You never actually think what you might gain. And mm -hmm. uh, I really like your sheet because it breaks it up into various factors like financial, family, relationship. And you've got a column which says costs, you know, what is the cost and then the gains. Right. And we gain so much more than we lose when we stop drinking. And I think as drinkers, we don't see that because it's you just can't see it that way the cost what does alcohol cost you what is alcohol given you that's where the yeah. gain is so um and and that that part of the list quite often comes up pretty empty you know it doesn't yeah. give you more money it doesn't give you better relationships mm -hmm. it's you know so it's cost you all this stuff it doesn't give you hardly anything and then where the the other part of the list is what is being sober gained that's where it yeah. really comes in because a lot of times people just when they get when they get sober, especially when they first get sober, they just look at all these things that they're missing out on. I'm yeah, missing yeah. out on the party. I'm missing out yeah. on, for me, it was hanging out on the beach and writing in my journal with a cocktail. I love doing that. And we don't think about the gains. And, and I just, you know, there's two motivators. There's pleasure and pain. In, in early recovery, pain from that, all those losses is what's getting you moving. But at some point, you got to switch it and turn to the gains, because that pain goes away. That pain yeah. gets and at, as in the, the benefits, As the benefits come in, that is when you, you can be driven by, by the pressure, right. really. I got a goal, and I can't achieve that goal as long as I'm drinking. Because we forget the pain, don't we? A few months yeah. in, you can't remember the hangovers, the blackouts. You just right. remember the parties. <laughs> well, you've given birth, you know this. You give birth and you go, oh, hell, I'm never doing that again. And then two years later, you got another one coming out. <laughs> and, and you just kind of forget. It's like it's more important to have that second child than it is to worry about that pain. Yeah. And the same yeah. thing with alcohol. Six months in and you're feeling better, yeah. it's more important to go ahead and be normal again. I hate that word, yeah. but it's yeah. more important to be normal and to spend time enjoying yourself than it is to worry about that stuff you barely remember happening. So. There's even a name for that, you know. I don't know if you know William Porter. He's a, a Brit that's written a book called Alcohol Explained. It's very good. And uh, he t he calls it fading effect bias, you know, and apparently our brains, they trick us after yes. a few months. And yes. then we can't remember the negative. We just remember the positive. Yeah. So I think people need to be aware of that, don't they, in, in yeah. early sobriety. So if someone's listening to this and they know that they've got to stop or, or it's on their mind, because they wouldn't be listening to this probably if they didn't have drinking on their right. mind, what would you say to them? What's a good starting point? Because for me, that was the most difficult bit, getting started. You know, it was always tomorrow, next week, because that's the hardest thing, isn't it? Accepting that there's a bit of an issue here right. and then doing something about right. it. I was thinking about that and where's the first start? And I think, you know, for me, it was community. It was definitely community. I went to that first AA meeting, and then later that night, I went to another one, and I got an opportunity to hear their stories and to hear that I was normal and to talk about my story and um, in a group where people would understand, but I need those people. Yeah. So that I can connect, so that I can see that sobriety can be fun, so that I can Absolutely. learn some things that I can do to help me stay sober. So. Yeah. Uh, even if you are not ready to get sober yet, I would say to find yourself a sober community and get yourself involved in that and start just have an open mind, be willing to, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. to try it, you know, to listen, to pay attention. So how can people connect with you and find out more about you? 
They can listen to the podcast Back Porch Chats. It's with Vince and me, and we talk about conversations of grace, hope, and recovery. We try to have guests on, um, but occasionally we go on just just ourselves mm-hmm. and and have conversations that way. And then, of course, the website, which is nowsobercoach.com. Thank you so much for sharing your inspiring story, Gina. Let's pull out some key points. Gina was a late starter when it came to drinking. It wasn't until after her gastric bypass operation that she actually got into trouble with drinking. Many people who have this operation to lose weight go on to develop a problem with alcohol because alcohol has become an alternative to overeating. So not only did Gina turn to drinking instead of eating to numb her feelings, but she struggled to regulate her intake. Sometimes she'd pass out after just one drink, and other times she could have several and be fine. Her reactions to alcohol became unpredictable, and she had lots of blackouts. So of course, like many of us, Gina began to introduce the rules. Only drinking at certain times, restricting to certain amounts, tipping barmen to ensure all her drinks were alcohol-free, and no texting. Of course, like all of us who set rules around our drinking, she promptly went on to break them. Tragically, Gina lost her son, and unsurprisingly, her drinking got much worse. She turned to alcohol to numb the pain, and she drank for seven straight months. She had several drinking-related accidents where she ended up in hospital. She also got arrested for drunken behaviour, so she was in real trouble. However, one day she came across a medium who helped her to feel a connection to her son. This was a spiritual experience and it became part of her recovery. Gina got sober with AA and almost immediately she wanted to help others. She'd been abused as a child and felt that this experience combined with her alcoholism gave her the insight she needed to help others. She explained how she loves to use Plato's allegory of the cave and how as we escape from our addiction, it's our duty to go back in and get people out. We talked about AA and the way that they don't like to talk about childhood abuse in the rooms. This annoys Gina because it's one of the causes of her own alcoholism and she knows that this is the case for many others as well. These days, Gina's working with her partner Vince to set up a membership programme. The membership is to support families of alcoholics. We agree that many people go to rehab and then return to the family. The family expect them to be cured, but in fact the whole family needs to work together to make things change. I found a byline on Gina's LinkedIn profile that says, If you're successful with alcohol, just imagine what you could be without it. I love that line and think it's so true. Even if alcohol doesn't destroy us, it will definitely stop us from reaching our potential. We talked about how pleasure and pain are the big motivators. In early sobriety, of course, we're motivated by pain, as our memories of the trouble alcohol caused us are fresh. But as those memories fade, we're at risk of convincing ourselves, of course we can have just one. William Porter describes this as fading effect bias and the challenge is to push through this and then the pleasures of sobriety will take over as the motivator 
And the awesome thing is that those pleasures will keep driving you because they keep coming as you discover the surprising joy of being sober. We discuss warning signs and agree that feeling you may have a problem with alcohol is a big warning sign. The fact that you're listening to this podcast is also a bit of a clue. Gina's advice to someone trying to get started is just to join a community and listen and learn. Even if you carry on drinking, just listen and learn for a while and see what happens. So to learn more about Gina, please go to her podcast, which is called Back Porch Chats. And she also has a website, which is called nowsobercoach.com. If you listen to the podcast regularly, then you'll know that I've been developing an online course called Kickstart Your Sober Life. We finished our beta testing and it's almost good to go. Rather than just stick it up on the website, we've come up with a fun idea to launch it. We've created a pop-up Facebook group called the 5 Day Sober Sprint and it's open right now. We'll be welcoming people in that group during July and on the 1st to the 5th of August we'll be running our sprint. I'll be doing a Facebook Live every morning with a task. We'll be asking people to complete the task and post the answers on the group. We'll have a Q&A board and then in the afternoon I'll do a 15 to 20 minute training on Facebook Live. So do come and join us. It's absolutely free and it should be a lot of fun. We'll be looking at topics like the importance of mindset and finding your why. Just go to tribesober.com and you'll find the info at the top of the homepage. Just click on the link and you'll be in the Facebook group. On the fifth day of the Sober Sprint, we'll be launching our brand new online course. But of course, there's no obligation to buy. Just come and hang out with us for a few days. It's a private group, by the way, so your Facebook friends won't be able to see that you're on it. This week's PDF is called 10 Steps to Kickstart Your Sober Life. And in fact, it's a little summary of the Kickstart course content. So just email me, Janice at tribesober.com, if you'd like to see a summary of the content and get the PDF. So let me finish with a message from one of our chat rooms. Now, we often hear people in the tribe complaining that they've got an all-inclusive holiday coming up. How on earth are they going to resist the drinks, knowing that they've already paid for them? That makes me think about that dieting tip that says, better waste your food than pile it on your waist. Anyway, Tribe Sober member Ross is not only coming up for her first soberversary, but she's just returned from her first sober cruise. We salute you, Roz. This is what she said on the chat group. Hi, everyone. Good morning. I joined Tribe Sober on the 19th of July 2021 at my lowest and saddest ever. And it's been up and up for me ever since. I'll be celebrating my one year soberversary on the 19th of July. A whole year. I'm off on my first sober cruise now. But hopefully for the next 10 days, I'll be keeping in touch whenever I have a Wi-Fi signal on shore. This was quite some achievement considering I went on my first cruise back in 1980 when we were working in tourism in Miami. I can't remember much about that one, but from the pics, it looks like we had fun at night and hangovers during the day. I'm looking forward to appreciating the sober experience of the port stops this time round. Wishing you all a great day.
Well, thank you, Roz. I know you enjoyed that sober cruise and I'm wishing you a very happy soberversary. So that's it from me. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast and I'll be back next week. Maybe I'll see you on our Sober Sprint Facebook group. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.